From the Transverse Network, this is The Transgender Show, an interview program about gender discovery and self-acceptance. I'm your host, Emily. This week on the show is comic book writer and RPG developer, Crystal Frazier. Uh, I work in role-playing games, but role-playing games are basically where you sit around a table with four to six of your closest friends and you pretend to be other people. It's sort of a combination of improv role-playing, or sorry, it's sort of an improv slash gambling combination. Uh, you've usually got one person at the table who's the, the game master who sort of sets the scene and controls all your opponents, and then everybody else at the table plays, you know, a band of friends or the same team working together for a goal. Like in Dungeons and Dragons, you're like a Lord of the Rings style fellowship trying to overcome adversity and evil. Or mm-hmm. in World of Darkness, you're a bunch of like socially maladjusted weirdos who don't like direct sunlight and band together to make fun of the popular kids. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I got into them as a, as a hobby back in high school, like a lot of trans people do. Uh, and I just started writing writing my own material as a hobby and for fun and sharing it online. And that eventually led to, you know, occasionally writing articles for different game companies, which Mm -hmm. eventually led to developing these games myself. Wonderful. And how did you meet my previous guest, Janelle Jaquays? How do you know her? Oh, I, I think I mostly know, I know Janelle because she was already in the game industry or had been, years ago when I was much younger. So we were kind of in the same circles. And then, you know, when you're trans and somebody finds out, they're like, oh, do you know this trans person in our industry? And you're like, we don't all know each other, but yes, of course I know her. (laughs) Uh, But I've met her wife, uh, uh, Becky Heineman, years ago. Oh, I'm not going to say any specifics because I, I don't need to spell out how old I am. But <laughs> many, many years ago before they had met and gotten married. <laughs> mm-hmm. When did you first realize you were different? Kind of what age was that and what were those signs for you? So for me, it was really early, about three or four years old. I can't remember exactly when because back then it was just kind of a vague impulse since like, I, I had no context for it, uh, but I remember being three or four years old, and my parents had somebody over to, to wanted to introduce me to them, and I just hid because for some reason it felt like buying to introduce me as a boy. I, I couldn't explain it. I didn't understand. I, I just somehow knew it would be easier if they were introducing me as a girl. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that just kind of sat in the back of my mind through most of my childhood and didn't really seem super important until puberty started. And then then all of a sudden, everything was wrong. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's that's pretty common. I think it's funny. Uh, I've, I've heard from several guests that, you know, you hear that puberty is going to be terrible. And when it comes along, it is terrible. And it's really confusing and all that stuff. And then it's not until later when you realize that you, and you come out as trans, it's like, oh, it was more terrible for us because <laughs> no, most people don't have that confusion. Yeah, it was supposed to be bad, but it wasn't supposed to be that bad. <laughs> but then again, you know, so much of the experience is just that it's all we know. So we assume that, oh, this is what everybody goes through. And it's not till a lot later you realize, no, it's it's not really. <laughs> this yeah, is rough. We really can't trust 12-year-olds to know themselves, which is why we should withhold 
hormones from everybody. <laughs> everybody goes on puberty blockers at 10 or 12. Uh-huh. And then once you prove you're mature enough, you can have a gender. My God, can you imagine how much easier parenting would be? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. We talked in the in the the pre-interview, and I know that the you know you, you mentioned puberty and how rough that was. I know high school was a um, a big time for you as far as discovering yourself and coming out. Um, was that when you realized that you were trans? Uh, mostly. I mean, I think I I think I found out what trans was around like age eight or nine. Uh, we, we ran across a trans woman in the grocery store, and I, in the very loud, obnoxious way children do, asked my mother, like, what, what, what is the deal here? <laughs> Which I have regretted every day since, up until today. Um, but my mom kind of explained that, you know, some people are, are transgender. She didn't use that word, but, and, you know, they go through, like, a process because they feel like they were born a different way, or... I think she gave me the the old like a uh, woman trapped in a man's body explanation or whatever whatever mm -hmm. it is we used to say in the eighties. So yeah, that's like the first time it occurred to me like, oh, you could do this. That's an option. But it was also explained to me as something that was bad and there was something wrong with these people and they were unhappy and I I didn't want to be unhappy. So obviously I I did not internalize that mm -hmm. and. I just spent like the next six or seven years going back and forth of like, maybe I'm trans. No, but I don't want to be like this because TV all says they're perverts. And But but I really feel this way, but but I'm not like anything that I see on TV. Like I don't look any look or act or feel any way that they describe on Jerry Springer. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, by the time by the time I dealt with a few years of puberty and got into like 16, I was like, no, fuck it. This is who I am. I don't understand what I'm going to do about it, but uh, mm -hmm. that's when I started like going out as me. I, I call it starting my soft transition, basically mm -hmm. once I got my driver's license. And and what did that mean? Um, going out and, and both just just plain going out and going out as mm -hmm. as the real you. Oh, just I started building a stash of girls' clothes and makeup and. I'd get changed after school and go to like the local queer coffee shop to do my homework for a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. uh, or once in a while, I'd go to the mall and buy some new clothes. I mean, I'd like to say I was exciting and salacious and all of that, but that wasn't until college. Mm -hmm. uh, no, in high school, I, I lived the dream of wearing a dress to do my fucking homework. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hey, anytime oh, we can get to, to anytime we can steal to, to get to explore and be ourselves is wonderful. I'm I'm so jealous that you were able to do it so early. Um so it sounds like you were you sort of sneaking in a way? Like, you know, you, you dressed after school. Did did you try and like wash everything off and dress back change back before you got home? I did, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I tried telling my mother at sixteen and she she did not react well and put me into a therapist that was obviously there to fix me rather than help me. Mm -hmm. uh, so I didn't really, she didn't bring it up again. I didn't discuss it with her. Didn't say anything about it for two years. Tried coming out to her again at 18. That didn't work out well. <laughs> uh, came out to her a third time at 20 and also came out to my father then. And, and that's, 
yeah, that's when they stopped ignoring it altogether, but it didn't go well. And we, we kind of stopped talking for six years. Wow. So yeah, the third time wasn't quite the charm there. Um, (laughs) And I think that, you know, it's a, it's a pretty common story that, that family has a really hard time accepting it. And, you know, a, a lot of times will turn away from their child. How was it that you were able to rebuild that that bridge and, and reconnect with them? Oh gosh, that is that is mostly thanks to my amazing wife, who I I married in the intervening years. Hmm. Uh, she, I I wound up with a lot of anger, you know, over the course of my transition, and and she really started helping me deal with that and process a lot of what I'd been through, and you know at the very least, reach out to my family and and talk to them and try and explain, like, this is my life now, and I'm happy, you know, I'd like you to have a part in it, but I'm not going to compromise who I am for you. And that kind of got my father, who was up until then extremely stubborn, kind of rolling on, on helping, or started him more or less understanding, mm-hmm. or at least accepting. And that must have been an incredibly empowering conversation to have of like, uh, of, you know, uh, you've that confrontation. I'm standing up for myself. This is who I am. Can I take it or leave it? I mean, it sounds empowering. Mostly it was just terrifying. Mm-hmm. Always a balance between those two, I suppose. Yeah. I grew up in a, a fairly stern family. So my father did not really, he was not accustomed to people talking back to him. Mm-hmm. And because of that, did did he respect you more, or did it just kind of set him back on his heels? Uh, he sure didn't respect me more when I talked back to him at twenty. But I think I think more just you know realizing that I was willing to walk away, like when I came back at like in my late twenties. Mm-hmm. Like I think he was he appreciated more that you know he could lose all this. Yeah, understandable. Plus, it helps that he absolutely adores my wife. <laughs> my little brother and I joke that uh, my wife is the daughter he always wanted or the child he always wanted. <laughs> oh, but she's like, but I'm also trans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, oh, but maybe yeah. because it's not his kid, it's easier. <laughs> I think so. He he never knew her before she transitioned. So he has only ever known the amazing daughter-in-law that she is. Well, and, and isn't that the thing? I, I find I'm still in that period where it's 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 still easier for me to communicate with new people that only know me as Emily and just accept me as that than it is to communicate with old friends who, uh, you know, as my as my transition kind of speeds up here and I get more into my stride, it's, you know, it just gets a little bit dicier. And it's, it's just mentally in a lot of ways, it's just so much easier to talk to the people that just no, accept it. It's all good, and and it's not even a, a, a thought in their mind. What was your what what other coming out experiences did did you have other than with your parents? What was it like with friends? Uh, well, I grew up in the South in a semi-rural area, uh, and that comes with certain attitudes and preconceptions from a lot of the population. So. A lot of my friends were kind of understanding. They didn't really get it, but there's sort of an attitude of, well, no harm, no foul in a lot of rural rural areas in America of like, 
well, you do you so long as it doesn't affect me. Uh huh. So I wouldn't say they were super empathic and understanding, but they weren't immediately hostile. Uh, my best friend didn't really take it well. She tried to fix me. That didn't really go well. A lot of my teachers were incredibly supportive. Uh, sometime in my senior year, rumors about like how I would spend my time after school got out. Oh, okay. So I ended up being, ended up being ostracized even more. So people just casually didn't want to hang out with me. Be once it was like everyone had always assumed I was gay, and now they had proof that I was gay. So, <laughs> um. So I mostly just hung out with the queer kids and the weirdos mm -hmm. my senior year. And and my teachers were super supportive when rumors started going around. School administration, not so much. But. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, you talk about, um, you know, when, when you were sort of outed and what people thought of you. And, and I have this, this I, don't, I guess it's not technically a quote from you, but it's something that, that you took part in or, or formed. Uh, queer as a three-sided die. Oh, no, I did not form that. I have just spoken on it. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a queer group within the games industry uh, where we do panels and sell merch and do outreach to try and you know, educate the gaming community about queer people and give queer gamers a place to, to meet up with other people, advocate mm. for inclusion and better representation, things like that. So it sounds like you, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, you didn't really have uh, a community or a strong circle of like-minded people in high school when you were really kind of starting to explore yourself. When was the first time you did find community and people to really support you that understood what you were going through? I mean, I had I had some friends who were very good and very supportive. Uh, I, I, one of my friends really stuck by me and like supported me even when my my parents had through a lot of the drama that i'd been through so mm -hmm. i don't want to make it sound like i had no friends whatsoever but uh yeah i did not really have like a relationship with the trans community at all i was raised in the south by a conservative family I mean, I, like I said before, I was taught a very certain thing about what transgender people were and that I, I even once I admitted that I was one, I, had, I avoided the community. Mm -hmm. I, I had a very much a, well, I'm not like other girls attitude. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't until I was 18 or 19 that I really like reached out and found an online community called the Antigen Forums or the Antigen List was a mailing list and and for those kids today mailing lists were a thing we had on the internet in the 90s that would go to your email inbox <laughs> but yeah it was a you know social media before social media where mm -hmm. it was this incredibly sweet kind-hearted trans woman in her 40s who'd never had kids but liked kids and was good with kids who kind of helped guide a bunch of younger trans kids through all of their struggles and helped us meet and find resources and gave us some emotional support when we were struggling and told us we were being assholes when we needed that too. Huh. Yeah, that, that's great to have the, the full the full circle. Like you said, it, it, it's totally a, a, parent, a parental role then, Very supporting much. you and, and doing all that kind of stuff, but also telling you when you're, you're out of line. And it yeah, was- but that's, that's very much when I started to realize that I had been lied to my whole life about my community. 
Mm -hmm. And so all of this was just through exchanged emails back and forth? A lot of it. I started meeting some of the people from the list who were in my area. So, and through the list, I went to a support group, but that didn't go super well. A lot of them were, you know, older trans women, in like their 40s, and they were married, and they were coming from a very different place in transition than I was. And ah, those old 40 year old trans women. Yes, yes, the 40 year old <laughs> trans women. I'm not, I'm not complaining about people who transition older. I'm just saying there are very different emotional needs at those different stages. Yeah, I get that. Very, very true. I, I ah, the old days, the old days. Um, back when we used to carve our emails into stone tablets before sending them to the ISP. <laughs> Hand delivering them, right? Mm -hmm. when, you, when you had to make the, the dial-up modem sound yourself. How far along would you say that you're in your journey now? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm 20 plus years into transition at this point, so I'm pretty well set. I've been on hormones for a very long time. I think I've gotten as much change out of them that I'm going to. So I'm on a smaller maintenance dosage, mostly just for, you know, my mental well-being. Mm -hmm. uh, I've gone through my bottom surgery and I'm happy with that. I mean, I'm pretty comfortable saying like my I guess my transition is over I don't I don't know how I don't think there's a specific stopping point when it comes to transition but I I guess I've stopped making progress in it I don't know <laughs> but it is, it, it, I think that's the place where we all want to get to that's that spot of like well there's not really anything else that I need or or want yeah. to achieve I've got everything and I, I can just be happy with me now and and Focus on other things. That's great. Yeah, someone else yeah. In, the, in the chat just chimed in. Uh, is is there ever a journey's end? <laughs> I mean, yeah, mostly. I mean, there are still times where I have a little bit of dysphoria or I'll look in the mirror and things don't feel right. Hmm. But honestly, I still think about being trans, mostly because I'm still involved in the community. But there have been times where I've been more stealth and haven't been very involved in the community and it just didn't come up very often in my day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you seem, from my perspective, you seem completely cis, so it, it, it kind of blows me away oh, in some ways. How that... dare you? <laughs> oh. I, mean to, to, I meant that as a compliment, but yeah, how did you how did you get to that, that point with your, your voice? I mean, it, it sounds completely feminine. Uh, my voice is a weird... I, unfortunately, I can't give good advice on my voice because this is what my voice has always sounded like. So I went through high school with this voice, trying to present as male. <laughs> that uh, that did not make me a lot of friends, but it made me really good at drama. Okay, okay. Let's get into some of the stuff that you did in um, in in high school, and, and I think it was a little bit later, maybe in college, when you were. Going when you were starting your transition on your own, you had mentioned uh, in our pre-interview pre that you did sort of what you called black market hormones. <laughs> oh, yeah, my sort of bass-ackwards transition because uh -huh. I, I started out just, you know, going out on femme, as we used to call it, uh, to do my homework or shop or whatever and just be a teenager. Mm -hmm. And then when I was turned 18 and left home, I decided, 
well, I'll just jump into this with both feet. Uh, so I went full time without any therapy, without any hormones, without anything, which I could get away with it. 16 by 18 puberty had really started to hit me. So it wasn't an ideal situation. But yeah, I started kind of experimenting with whatever I could get a hold of in terms of hormones, because I there weren't really a lot of resources for, well, how do you get hormones? You you heard about these things existing, but it's not like today where you can just do a Google search and find, you know, informed consent providers in your area. Back then, all the providers were still working by the Harry Benjamin standards, where, you know, you had to go to a lot of therapy, which was expensive, and you had to live full time for six months to a year and get therapy for six months before you can start hormones and all of these other hoops you had to jump through that, I mean, as a desperately poor 18 year old kid, I had no idea how to even approach. Mm -hmm. So I was, you know, I got uh, birth control. I picked up hormonal supplements that I had found on, I can't even remember where that I had found somewhere, probably online, things like that. I'd found like a DIY, like how to how to bootstrap your own hormone therapy using stuff from the GNC, which I shoplifted most of. <laughs> wow, okay. And how did so you get I, your hands on birth control? Uh, I mean, I was in college at that point. I had a ton of cis female friends who could just go to Planned Parenthood and get theirs and go to a different Planned Parenthood and get a dose for me. Ah, very sneaky. Nice. I like that. Okay. <laughs> I should probably not be telling younger trans kids how to do this because this is a terrible plan or a terrible plan. These <laughs> like screwing around with birth control mostly just made me erratic and irritable and gave me water retention. <laughs> you're you found this way around the system and you're doing your own HRT. Um, you say it's 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 not the not a good idea to do that did you have anything that that came of it you said you've got uh you've got water retention and a kind of erratic behavior and you mentioned in our chat before that you didn't actually see any positive results like you didn't see yeah, any of the changes you were looking for anyways right yeah i don't think i really saw any changes in my face i certainly didn't see any breast growth i I think I had some psychological effects, but I don't know if that was real or or if that was just placebo effect. Mm. So I I would really, in this day of vast available knowledge on the internet and informed consent, I would strongly recommend going with, you know, actual doctor prescribed hormones if it is at all possible for you. Absolutely. I think if you dig and look look hard enough, you can find those resources, you can find the, the help that you need, and it's just not worth it. And and I think that's the the biggest thing we can say against that is that, yeah, it, it's it's got lots of dangers. It's got some side effects. And for, to your knowledge, you didn't have anything positive come from it. So it's just it's just not worth it. I mean, I don't think the I don't think the hormonal birth like not birth control but like the hormonal it was hrt for postmenopausal women done with like herbal supplements so i don't think it really did any harm but you know if i'd gotten caught shoplifting that would have been bad when i was paying for it with money that i had that was a big sink of my money into something that probably didn't have any effect 
you mentioned when we were talking about where you are in your trans journey that you still struggle with dysphoria at times. Yeah. What is it that, that brings that about? What what do you see in yourself that you're dysphoric I mean, about at times? I mean, it's, I think dysphoria is just a, a form of trauma, really. And you get better at dealing with trauma, but you never, it's almost never something you put completely behind you. It's something that you're always going to carry, but it's something that doesn't have to dominate your life as much over time as you get used to it. Uh, I mean, I've still got like you said, dysphoria from time to time. Like sometimes I look in the mirror and I see the like gangly, ugly 18 year old male presenting person that that I didn't like being and that got treated really poorly by the world for not fitting into an easy gender stereotype. Mm -hmm. so. And sounds like didn't get treated very, very well by you either. No, not really. Yeah, it was a very different time in the community. There was, there was a lot more emphasis on being able to pass, not being able, or not making waves, things like that. So, mm -hmm. you can struggle with that a lot as you get older. The the things you learn when you were young, because the the world does keep changing and moving on. Mm -hmm. I got myself lost there. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's 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 kind of one of those things. It's it's a it's a two-edged sword. It's really hard to hear that people that are so far along in their journey, like where you're at, uh, still feel dysphoric at times. It's just like, oh, I'm just, I'm always going to have to freaking deal with this. Um, but you both always have to freaking deal with it. It's, it's something very minor and it's not something that's hugely crushing anymore. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, oh, it's like if you break your leg, you're always going to feel a little bit of a twinge when the weather changes, but it will always be that pain of having a shattered leg pressing up against your, you know, your muscle and veins. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the other, the other part of it too, is that it's, it actually is kind of encouraging to hear that someone that looks as, as so well put together, presents completely, like I said, as, as a cis woman, practically. Um, I'll caveat that because I got in a little trouble when I said <laughs> my previous comment. But if someone like you still has dysphoria at times, it kind of helps lessen it for those of us that are starting our journeys or are earlier on because it's like oh well if everybody everybody has to deal with it it's just a part of life and when it's when you can understand it that way then you can move on and and it, it like you said with the, with the leg analogy it just it hurts less each time of hormones surgeries or any other things that you did along your transgender journey what had the biggest the single biggest effect for you what made you feel the most you the real you so for me personally it was starting hormone therapy like real prescription hormones androgen blockers all of that uh like inside of a few hours maybe a few days my brain just felt like it was working right for the first time since i was maybe eight years old hmm. like it just seemed like everything finally clicked into place i felt like my emotions weren't this like alien thing riding around on me my my body felt like my own body instead of something I was sort of, you know, stuck in. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't 
certainly don't regret having surgery, but in retrospect, I think I kind of overinflated its importance. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Can you can you talk about that a little bit more? I mean, I just like in terms of how much peace of mind I got starting hormones versus being uh, versus having my bottom surgery. Like hormones did so much more to just help me feel like a normal functional human being and be happy with myself. Mm -hmm. uh, bottom surgery was great. I fit all of my pants a lot better. I can change at the locker room without people getting upset. Uh, orgasms are really good. Um, okay. But at the same time, a lot of a lot of the things that improved because of bottom surgery are things related to other people. Like, I, mm -hmm. I don't get stared at in changing rooms. I'm not afraid of, well, I'm still afraid of going swimming, but I can wear a bathing suit. Uh, you know, I don't have to disclose who I am to every one night stand I've ever had. Uh -huh. so, but those are all things related to other people, whereas starting hormone therapy helped me deal with me. Mm -hmm. I, that, I'm so... I'm I'm so appreciative that you shared that, that one little tidbit about that um, the orgasms are better and that you're you're willing mm -hmm. to actually put that out there. I know I know talking about um, sex is kind of a taboo thing for for trans people, you know, especially you know from you know when the question comes from cis people. But I think there's also th that kind of worry from us of like, will I ever orgasm again? Um, what will sex be like? Will it end up being worth it once I get through it? Um, I mean, there's there's so many variables with bottom surgery that, mm -hmm. I mean, it depends on who you go to and what their technique is like and what your health is like at the time and what your recovery goes, or how your recovery goes, what age you uh, have your surgery, just a thousand different options. Like, I had a lot of complications after my surgery, and so I was numb all over down there for, oh, God, a good two years. Oh, and I just wow. thought, well, I'm never going to have another orgasm mm -hmm. and kind of accepted that. And it was a while and I had to, this is going to sound so sad. I had to get the good vibrations guide to sex to figure out how to, how to orgasm with a vagina, because it's a very different process. Uh -huh. And then meanwhile, my wife has her bottom surgery and she's orgasmic within a week. <laughs> Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, that that's that's the main thing to remember. And it's brutal. And I'm sorry for laughing, but the the it's it's the it's the truth about it. You know, we um, you know, I said that 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 you're a beautiful woman and and you know, you sound like a woman and all that kind of stuff. And so like the tendency is to get super jealous and be like, I don't look like that. I don't know if I could possibly achieve that and all of all of those well, things. You look like that in twenty years. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure there's no chance in hell I will in 20 years. Um, I'm 45. So, um, like I said, it's yeah, an important I mean, point. Like we can't, we can't look at anybody else and hope or expect that that's what our journey is going to be like. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's all different. Yep. And yeah, I just I appreciate that of like, um, hearing that you were able to reach not only orgasms but better orgasms than before but you had that period where like you kind of had to give up on it because because um of your complications yeah i ended up i mean for, through no fault of my surgeon i went to see a great surgeon with a great support team but i i ended up having a lot of swelling i i've only found out like since then that my body just 
react very poorly to to any kind of internal injury. I have tons of extra swelling that you wouldn't have expected and <laughs> things like that. Uh, so, you know, I had a bunch of extra swelling and it took forever for for dilation to not be incredibly painful. It took a long time to for the swelling to let up on my nerves in particular so that I got sensation back. Okay. Uh, it, I ended up having to wear a catheter for two or three weeks after my surgery, like considerably longer than normal. Mm -hmm. God, that, was, that was quite a while ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so my surgery was, I mean, not a complete nightmare scenario, but definitely one of the poorer experiences you could have. But I still get orgasms and I like them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, again, I think that that's such a wonderful thing to be able to share to our audience. And I, I really appreciate this because, you know, I, I, I can't imagine what that mental state was when you got out and you were so excited about what this was going to mean for you. And pretty much all of it was wrong. It, it was frustrating, but I had enough going on, like in my life in general, that I'm not going to focus on this one thing. Mm -hmm. Plus, I mean, I also really like giving when it comes to sex, so it really only screwed up, you know, part of the equation. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, my my whole brand on Twitter is oversharing so that people can understand these things about trans women that nobody wants to talk about. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, it's a very sensitive subject, and especially like if you've been through... I mean, I think a lot of trans girls would be traumatized by that and very triggered by talking about it after having gone through that. You put all of this, your whole life into having into this dream. You finally <laughs> scraped together the money to make it happen. You, I'm sure you did a ton of research and we'll get into that in, in a second of, of, of who the right surgeon is oh. for you. You have your consultations, you go through it and just everything, it just, it just all goes sideways. Oh, this is... Like, like I like to tell my therapist, this is one of my D-list traumas. We're going to work on the A-list stuff first. <laughs> hmm. So, yeah, well, I'm I'm very fortunate in that I have survived many horrific traumas. So <laughs> minor things like that don't really bother me. <laughs> oh, okay, so my brain is, I'm, I'm hitting a wall. Like, do how much do you want to dive into that? Or how much do we, you want to? We don't. We okay. really don't. Oh, that's fine. Because... <laughs> You know, the whole the whole point of this show is to is to focus on the, the trans journey and helping other transgender people. And um, um, <laughs> I was going to text somebody earlier, like the sort of the point of the show is to see if we can make the guest cry. Um, and it's not it's not at all. It's not at all. But it's just, you know, sometimes we we I mean, we talk about real stuff here. We talk about the real traumas we've gone through. And a lot of times it's it's really sensitive. And um, wow, I'm tearing up now. Um Oh, but um estrogen's a bitch yeah maybe it is <laughs> um uh wow yeah because i i always I, I i cry at movies and i cry at commercials before hrt so this is going to be um rough uh i subsume all of my pain into or into uh bad jokes so. <laughs> again another conversation i had today um with somebody that kind of took what i said the wrong way i'm like i'm all about sarcasm and snark so sorry <laughs> For me, it's mostly dad jokes, but yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, st sarcasm, snark, and horrible puns. I love a terrible, terrible pun. Oh, <laughs> it's right in the wheelhouse of a dad joke. Love it. All right, trying to get back on track here. 
you you sound like you you've been a lot been through a lot through your 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 transition so i think this is going to be a tough question for you um but what were the biggest learning curves that you had through your transition what were the biggest things you had to, to, to... i might not have started transition knowing how to fight but shit if i didn't end transition knowing how to fight um realistically though i mean a lot of a lot of the learning curve I had in transition was social related. I grew up a very isolated child. I didn't have a ton of friends. I I was the nerdy kid who did the whole group project herself. <laughs> so I was very much used to doing everything on my own. I had to take care of my little brother since we were, God, since I was about 10. So since I was about 10 years old, I've always had to be the responsible one. I had to take care of everybody else around me. Mm. I wasn't used to reaching out for help or socializing or even really communicating how I was feeling to other people. So learning to process like emotional, developing my emotional quotient was, mm. was a long and difficult journey. That's another thing I've heard about HRT is that your your emotional spectrum deepens and widens significantly. I think so. I think part of it is just not feeling like you have to constantly be on the defensive anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think we kind of covered most of that. Uh, so we we can we're we're wrapping up with this part of the of the interview. That's great. Let's get to the fun one. How Yay! did you how did you choose your name? Oh, uh, well, the thing is, I hate the name Crystal, and my mother hates the name Crystal. Uh, as my aunt, as my aunt is very fond of telling me ever since I transitioned and came out to her, the only people named Crystal are prostitutes and drag queens. <laughs> so it was not a well-loved name in my family, but for some reason, like all through high school, I kept thinking, my name is probably Crystal, and it's not the name my mother was going to give me, but at the same time, like, something just kept, like, in the back of my mind, well, that's probably my name. And then when I transitioned and I come out to my grandmother, she's like, oh, it's nice that you picked the name your grandfather wanted for you, because my grandfather died when I was one year old, and when my mother was pregnant, I was the first grandchild and the only one he got to meet and while he was or while my mother was pregnant he was dealing with very like stage four lung cancer and had this nurse who just you know bent over backwards to to help him cope and help my grandmother get through everything and just help them keep their lives together for a few more years and while he was sick he told my mother if it's a girl i want you to name her crystal after the nurse who's done so much for our family and and see here now here i'm getting kind of frustrated because i i just i literally just said uh, just a minute ago that the point of the show is to make the guest cry not to make me cry all right oh i can make you cry <laughs> that's just such an amazing and sweet story i just i can't i can't that's incredible and i i love i love those little I don't know, you know, depending on, on where you fall on the spectrum, uh, coincidences or, you know, supernatural things. Uh, it's just, it's wonderful to hear. That's so great. Probably a coincidence, or maybe my grandmother was telling me something nice because, you know, she thought I needed to hear it. I don't know. Yeah. I, that's a great idea too. Your grandmother's like, oh, that's a pro that's a prostitute or, or a stripper, stripper name. Uh, how can I make her feel better about this? It's just, you know, 
shows you the, 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 the true wisdom of, of age, right? If you can come up with right. that on the fly. And <laughs> yeah, for all the parent trouble my parents had with this, my grandmother and all of my extended family were like, we were wondering when you were going to come out. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. yeah so um, my grandmother, who, you know, born in the 1920s, was like, oh, I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you finally understand who you are and you're happy. Wow. Yeah, um, I had uh, I had an opportunity with my grandmother. She was her health was failing, and um, I went and visited her. And the decision was made not so much by me, but you know, my my, my mother and the family that I wouldn't tell her. Um, I understand why, but it's it's like you know, you just you you're kind of left with that hope of like or that that thought of like, well, what if she had accepted? What would that have been like? Um, and you know, the, there's no, there's no advice I can give on that. It's just you know, you really have to to base it on on what you feel in your heart, like on how they'll accept it and how important it'll be for the two of you. But um, I've found that you shouldn't believe what you're thinking in your head sometimes with that. Like I found that people accept it more generally. Family's the wild card, but. Um, don't don't be too afraid to do it because sometimes the benefits uh, are are far worth it. What are some of the key pieces of advice that you have for young or closeted trans people? A lot of it is just based on my own errors and mistakes. So uh, probably the number one piece of advice I have is build a support network for yourself early on. Ideally, before you come out, find friends that friends that you know are going to stand by you no matter what find members of the trans community in your area find clinics and therapists near you even if you don't plan on getting hormone therapy or going to therapy anytime soon uh be aware of what the crisis numbers in your area are like and how they relate or react to trans people uh it's it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it as i learned um mm -hmm. And I mean, besides that, just go in understanding that transitions kind of a messy organic process and no two people's transitions are going to run exactly the same way. I basically did everything wrong in my transition and I came out mostly okay. <laughs> so <laughs> just don't take any stupid risks. And on uh, along that topic, um, I had wanted to ask earlier and I forgot, but how, what advice do you have when you've decided you want bottom surgery and maybe expand that a little bit, just a little bit before that. And like, you know, how you, you come to that decision the right way. And then what, what advice do you have for finding a good surgeon? I mean, I don't know that I 100% came to that decision on my own because I came to that decision back in 2000, 2001, back when again, the model was, was very different in how you treat trans people. I, you know, I finally relented and went through the Harry Benjamin standards once I had like a little more income and could manage it. And I mean, they kind of push you through by the numbers expecting you'll get therapy for this long, you'll go on hormones, you'll get more therapy, you'll get your bottom surgery and then you'll woodwork. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So it kind of railroads you through and doesn't really ask, well, do you want bottom surgery? And interesting. I mean, in retrospect, I think I do. I think I'm happier with it. I don't think it's like the most important stage of transition, but but I don't 
know that it really ever came down to like me deciding yes definitely for sure i want bottom surgery it's more like everybody has told me i need to get bottom surgery so i'm going to pursue this yeah um that, that you know those, that's the, the key point you just brought up before of, of everybody's transition is different everybody's needs are different but yeah i mean in terms of like picking a good surgeon i think the best I and mean, back in the day we just the only thing on the internet about trans women was basically different trans women's write-ups of their experiences getting surgery. Uh, and back before we knew that Anne Lawrence was kind of a creepy predator, she had a website that was dedicated to like uh, bottom surgery results and like comparing different surgeons' techniques and things like that. Uh, so that was a big resource I consulted when I was looking for which surgeon to go through or go to. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, if you're researching now, figure out what's most important to you, whether it's aesthetics or sensitivity or uh, things like that, and then research which surgeons specialize in that more. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transgender Show from the Transverse Network. Watch the full video version of the show live Tuesday nights at twitch.tv slash thetransverse, and be sure to catch our slate of other great shows there as well. If you love what we're doing and want to support The Transverse, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash thetransverse.